And please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You made it. Yeah. (laughs) Your streets must have been plowed or you just went for it. I don't know. Uh, Thankful for days like this for the live stream. Those of you who aren't here, we miss having you here. Um, I think Pastor Jason mentioned this in the announcements, but we are going to postpone the members meeting. So the original members meeting planned for tonight, we'll postpone that. Uh, We're shooting for either March uh, 12th or 19th. Next week is the uh, Bible study leader training, which anyone's invited to uh, at the Prescott Adult Center, going through the last uh, four lessons in the book of Hosea together. So I'd love to have you come to that if you're able. But for now, we jump back into 1 Corinthians 12. It's been a while since we've been there, right? Uh, Our normal pattern is verse by verse through books of the Bible. And then we got to 1 Corinthians 12 or 11. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. And we paused because there's so many questions that come with the words and phrases in these next few chapters. What are tongues? Are tongues today the same as happened back then? Are they still for today, the actual tongues Uh, that were uh, gifted to the church back in the first century. So we took two weeks to make some sense of that. What are the the miraculous gifts given to the early church? And, And then a second week on, are they for today? So if you're wondering about those things as we go on through chapter 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen to those two messages. And then our brother Scott Maxwell came last week and just preached a phenomenal lesson on conflict resolution, trusting in Christ. I'd encourage you, strongly encourage you to listen to that if you didn't hear that last week. And if you did hear it, maybe listen to it again. Um, Just a wonderful uh, gift to our church to hear that taught last week. And so today, after a number of weeks away, we come back to 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. So let me read this for us. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand and do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But I earnestly, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. I've entitled this message, You and the Local Church. We're in this series in this section of 1 Corinthians where he's talking to them about their, their assemblies together, their gatherings together, their worship gatherings together. And he's, 
He's showing them what's good in their gatherings and also what needs to be corrected in their gatherings. And one of the things that needed to be corrected in their gatherings was an understanding of spiritual gifts and how people with different gifts were meant to relate to one another in a local body. That's why we've entitled the, the, the section that we're in, When We Gather. And specifically today, we're looking at verses 12 through 31 of chapter, uh, sorry, verses 12 through 31 of chapter 12 and calling this you in the local church. Uh, I'm convinced, as many of you are, that uh, many of the problems in evangelical Christianity today come because the church doesn't understand what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to be. Sometimes we don't even understand who is actually part of the church. We think sometimes it's people that gather into a room on a Sunday. It's not. It's people who have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of their sins, trusted in Jesus Christ, and lived to, to follow Him by His grace. We, we've got a lot of issues in the church today. Sometimes churches don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Are we meant to be a political church to change the politics of the nation or the world? Are we the environmental church here to, as the people of God, save the world? Are we the culturally relevant church changing our message to fit what the culture wants all the time. I think you'll gather by the cynicism in my voice that no is the answer to all three of those. We are the people who get to proclaim that Jesus is coming in judgment. He came a first time in a season of grace to offer mercy and forgiveness for those that would trust in Him. So flee the wrath to come, come to Jesus. His arms are open. He, he saves sinners. We're here to make that known to the world. That's the biggest problem in the world. That is the biggest problem in the world. And we've got the solution to it. Spiritual bankruptcy, spiritual rebellion. We have the gospel of Christ to show people. And Jesus said in the upper room, love one another. If you love one another, they'll know that you're my followers. And so the unity of the church is a big deal to the Lord. It's a big deal to the Holy Spirit who pens through the apostles the epistles. And so we come to 1 Corinthians 12, and there's a big emphasis on the unity of the church, the cohesion of the church, the ministry of the church to one another, caring for one another as we're on this mission to make Christ known. There are problems with what the church, what people understand the church to do or what, what people think the church should be doing. There are also problems with individuals, professing Christians who maybe have wrong views of the local church. We see that all around. People today sometimes seem to think, what's important in life as a Christian is my family, and the church is like somewhere way down the list. Well, the New Testament doesn't make that distinction. You live and are responsible to care for your family, and you live and are responsible to care for your church. That's what the New Testament would argue. Both are important, but we kind of sometimes make this distinction that uh, I'm a family man, and that's what's most important, and then the church is kind of optional. Where the New Testament doesn't understand where that comes from. That's not a philosophy given to us by the New Testament. Sometimes with professing Christians, there's kind of an attitude of, I don't need the church. And you'll see from this chapter, yes, you do. Sometimes there's the idea that the church doesn't need me. You'll see in this passage, yes, we do. So there are all sorts of wrong views about me, the church, the church, and me. And Paul writes to clear some of that up with the Corinthian church and by extension with, with us. So you and the local church. Let's look at the passage in four parts, four facts about your life connected to the local church. All right, that'll serve as our outline for the morning, four facts about your life connected to the local church. Here's the first fact, you are part of a body. You are part of a body. If you are a Christian and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are part of a body. Paul's going to highlight in verses 12 to 13 the unity of people, the unity of Christians gathered together in a local gathering, in a local assembly. We are, as Christians, part of a body. We're not independent. There is no such thing as an independent Christian. We talk about that a lot, right? As a matter of fact, the Proverbs would warn us against independence. Proverbs 18.1, the man who is independent or isolated, 
He's the one who quarrels against all sound counsel. He desires his own way. That's not a commendation. That's a rebuke. That's a criticism. So Christianity is not a private thing. It's something where we are together with a family. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Do you see how he's emphasizing our unity, our oneness, our part of being in a body? Again, let me read it. Think, think of that emphasis. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This is the way it is in the family of Christ, with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, which would have been shocking to that Corinthian congregation. Wait, what did he say? Me, Jewish Christian, and that guy over there across the aisle from me, Greek Christian, we are in the same spirit, we're baptized in the same spirit. Yes, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Wait, wait, what did he say? Me as a slave looking across the aisle as someone who is free, we are one? Yes, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. That phrase, drinking of one spirit, is interesting. What does that mean? Is there something I'm supposed to drink, like a fluid and the Holy Spirit comes into me? What's that referring to? In John 7, when Jesus was on earth in his earthly ministry and he's teaching, he was teaching one day and he said this. John says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, trusts me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, would one day receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John gives us a lot of insight as to what is to how to understand this passage from 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus, when he was here, said, come to me, trust in me for the forgiveness of sins. Come to me, drink of me, and you will have, when the Spirit comes, after Jesus ascends to heaven, after Jesus ascends to heaven, you will have, as one who trusts in Jesus, comes to him for life, you will have rivers of living water flowing through. You'll have the Holy Spirit coming out of you. You will do things that look like Jesus. You will speak like Jesus. You will live like Jesus. You will serve like Jesus. This is what you will have. You will have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You will have drunk of the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled with the Spirit. And when Jesus ascends to heaven, this is what the apostles start preaching. They start preaching, repent and then be baptized. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that when Christians repent and believe in Christ, they demonstrate that in baptism. They live Spirit-filled Christian lives. They live like Jesus lived. So Paul is trying to show all the Corinthians, hey, you look down on one another because some of you have this gift, some of you have that gift. Some of you are free, some of you are slaves. Some of you are Jews, some of you are Greeks. You're all thinking of your individuality. I'm trying to show you. You've believed in Christ. You all have the Spirit of God in you. He's trying to show them their togetherness. You are part of a body. And again, today, especially in America and Western countries, especially in America, we are so individualistic. This is my faith with Jesus. It's between me and Jesus. I'm a lone ranger. Again, that is foreign to the New Testament. I want to show you this quickly in one spot. Look at Acts 2. So turn over to Acts chapter 2. Remember, John has tipped us off to the fact that once Jesus ascends to heaven, is glorified in his words, once Jesus ascends to heaven, things are going to be a little different. When he ascends to heaven, he gives the Holy Spirit to be put inside of people. So what, what's that now look like? Acts 2 Peter preaches this great sermon on the day of Pentecost, showing that the world is guilty, 
showing that Jesus Christ has been crucified and that people should repent and believe in Him, what He said, what He taught, what He did on the cross. Picking up in Acts 2, 37, let's notice this. When they heard this, so, so what's the this? This is, this is, what I'm about to say is eternally important, and that's not hyperbole. When they heard that they were guilty of sin before a holy God, and that Jesus Christ had been crucified for sinners, he, he would take their place. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Which is a great question for everybody on the planet to ask. I'm in rebellion against God. I know that. What do I do? Great question. Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent, turn from it, acknowledge it, admit it, go the other way. Put away your rebellion, trust in Christ. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. You repent, you come to Christ from your old ways, and you demonstrate your life with Christ in baptism. You show that off. I'm immersed in Him, no longer in my old ways. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and then they went off all individually living their own individual private Christian lives. If you've got a Bible, you know that that's not what it says. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So now for one who's repented and believed, who's been baptized as a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ, who's received the gift of the Holy Spirit, what's their life look like? Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were saved as individuals into a group with whom they had fellowship shared meals together with, broke bread, prayed together, and listened to the apostles' teaching. That's what New Testament Christianity looks like now. That, that was the beginning of this. So they repent and believe as individuals. It's for everyone to determine and to give their life to Christ. And then now, once they're given their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit brings them into a body, brings them into assembly, brings them into a local family. That's what happens. And the rest of the New Testament, the New Testament epistles, just assume that. It just assumes that you are operating as a Christian in that environment. And I'm literally preaching to the choir this morning. You're here. You're part of the body. You understand that. This is the way of Christianity. You come to Him individually by faith. You don't come because your parents were Christian. You don't come because your cousin was a Christian. Therefore, you're a Christian. No, no. You repent. You believe you receive the forgiveness of sins. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to live like Christ, to minister like Christ, to bear fruit like Christ, and you do that in a local family, in a local assembly. A couple weeks ago, um, our littlest one, Thatcher, came into the house yelling, Mommy, there's a rabbit's head outside. So, Everyone goes outside, and lo and behold, there's a literal rabbit's head, rabbit's head alone, outside on the ground. Now, why do I tell you that? Not to gross you out, but because you all understand that's not how it's supposed to be. <clears throat> there's supposed to be something connected to said head, right? There's supposed to be a body there. This is what Christianity is. Well, my faith's about me and Christ. I don't need a local church. Random rabbit's head on the ground. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Not normal, not the way it's supposed to happen. Here Paul says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all are the members of the body. All, all Christians, are members of the body. Though many, 
are one body, so it is with Christ. A Christian is connected to a local body. I would encourage all of you who are here, maybe you're a Christian traveling through, maybe you're a Christian visiting from somewhere else, maybe you're part of Canyon Bible Church, I would encourage you, be devoted from your heart to your local body. Submit to leaders, use your gifts, bear with one another, forgive one another, serve one another, all the one another's in the New Testament. Take the Lord's Supper with your brothers and sisters in your local assembly. Be devoted to that group of people that the Lord has placed you into, because He's placed you into a group, into a body. There's a second fact about your life connected to the local church. Point number two, you are needed in the body. You are needed in the body. Now, here in verses 14 to 20, Paul seems to be addressing a certain type of person in the Corinthian church. Remember, as I told you before, specifically a few weeks ago, there was a lot of pressure on people, and that pressure still exists today in some places, to have certain spiritual gifts. So, there was a certain pressure and there was a certain pride. We know specifically in the gift of tongues in the Corinthian church. So, the people with the gift of tongues, you know, they had the gift. And there was this competition, there was this jealousy at the church in Corinth. And so, Paul starts by talking to the people who may feel less than because they don't have the same gift, the same miraculous gift that other people have. So, he writes to them, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, and you can almost hear the foot, head down, I don't know, foot down, something down in despair, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. I mean, look at the hands. Everyone wants to be the hands. No one wants to be the foot. This is Paul's way of kind of humorously encouraging those people. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And then Paul's answer, that would not make it any less part of the body. It doesn't matter what you say, you are part of the body. And if the ear should say, I mean, he uses a second silly illustration to make a point. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. And then he says this again, that would not make it any less part of the body. You're not somehow lesser than in the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? We need the hearing. This body needs the hearing. Everyone's focused on the eyes and the seeing, but we need your hearing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Those of you that had COVID and lost your sense of smell, you realize how much you miss it, how much you want it. But everyone's excited to be some other body part, but we need the nose. But as it is, God arranged, and I love this, oh, I'm, just, I'm just this, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a great giver, I'm not… Hold on a second. God arranged the members in the body. That means you've been arranged by God. God has purposefully put something inside of you to do. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? We don't need 30 hands. We need some hands, we need some feet, we need a nose, we need some, we need some eyes. That's what we need. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So, Paul's teaching every member is important. Why? Again, verse 18, God arranges the members in the body. God chose that you'd be arranged this way. You're important because God has determined that He'd give you a function. That's why you're important. No hanging your head saying you're not as important as some other part of the body. That's not how the body of Christ works. So, this isn't Paul just being sentimental. No, 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 you're important. No, it's him connecting that importance to what God has done. No, no, you're important because God has arranged it this way. God has chosen 
to give you this particular giftedness, this particular way of serving the body that other people can't. Think about if the church were full of people teaching and, and exhorting, but there was no mercy in the church, there was no gift of giving in the church. I mean, that would be horrible. Be a lot of people talking and not a lot of people helping, serving, meeting needs, extending mercy. Or imagine the church where lots of people are serving, it's active. There's giving, lots of stuff going on, but there's no teaching. There's no, there's no, hey, look out for that wolf out there. Hey, here's what it means to worship. Hey, here's what it means to live in the body. Here's what it means to forgive. Imagine if there's just a bunch of activity but no information coming. We can see that we need one another. We need, we need all parts of the body to function in a healthy way. You are needed in the body. T- today, I mean, back then, in the first century, there was this comparison going on in the church, right? I don't have the gift of tongues. I'm just a foot. No, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. No, not everyone is the same. God arranges us in different ways, every single one being important. And that, that same idea can come to us today, right? Well, I don't do what they do as well as they do it. Maybe you don't have to do what they do as well as they do it. Maybe God's given you something else that is a great ministry to the church. And our social media culture doesn't help with the temptation there. Well, look, I mean, she has this wonderful ministry, and he does this, and look at all. Okay, first of all, we're not supposed to parade our righteousness in front of men. So we'll let the Lord deal with them later. But you don't need to compare yourself to that. See a need, meet a need as you're able. Do that before the Lord. And do it because you love the body. And that is extremely meaningful. That's huge. You are needed in the body. So I'd encourage you, find joy knowing, Christian, that God arranged you in a special way to serve the body. Every single Christian. I don't care whether you're a Christian and you're 10 years old or you're a Christian and you're 95 God has given you the ability to serve the Bible or serve the church in a particular way, in a great way. So find joy in that. Find joy in that. You don't have to be other people. God hasn't made you to be other people. Find joy in how God has wired you. And don't compare yourself to other Christians. Don't fall into the Corinthian mindset where the foot just kind of says, oh, who am I? Special to the Lord. Stop comparing and serve from the heart. Third fact about your life, connected to the local church, you have need of the body. Now, this one makes the self-sufficient a little uncomfortable. You saying I have needs of help with other people? Yes, you got it. That's exactly what I'm saying. We need each other. We have needs. But I'm a pull myself up by the bootstraps kind of guy. Okay? But Christians are, I need help, brother and sister. That's what kind of people we are. We need help. We don't have all abilities and all skill. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have everything we need to live the Christian life. We need help. This section, 21 to 26, seems to be directed at the prideful Corinthians who belittled others. So you see Paul first trying to encourage those that maybe feel belittled, And here he's talking to the people that may be doing the belittling. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're in need also, superstar. You need some help as well. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So people, this is what this is saying. People in the church can't say, I don't need you. Can't do that. So for the person that might say, I'm a Christian, I don't need a local church. Okay, you can say that all you want. The Bible literally says the opposite. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So what he's saying here is those parts of the body that you don't think are that important, those people that you don't think may be that important, God has made them who they are. They are, in the words of verse 22, indispensable. You can't do without them. Again, which is pretty shocking. And then he starts using, I mean, if it weren't inspired by the Holy Spirit, we'd say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say this. He starts using kind of salty language here. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, on our unpresentable parts, the parts that you don't present in public, with great, are treated with greater modesty. So everyone wants to show off their hands, rings, bracelets, I don't know, whatever else you adorn your hands with, the face, makeup. We show off things, and we hide certain things. And the Corinthians love the showy gifts, and Paul's saying, the things that we hide are important too, indispensable. We're all important. That's what he's saying here. Why has God made it this way? Why has God made it that we need each other, we need everyone in the body? Well, he answers the question in verse 25, so there's no division among us. Imagine if, imagine if I showed up one day and said, listen, church, Canadian Bible Church, uh, there are some spiritual gifts that we really need in this church, and there are others um, who have these other gifts, you know, Janie and, and you know, Juan over here, and, uh, but we don't need those gifts. Would there be any sort of division in the church? Of course there would be. Hi, Janie, nice to see you. Juan, nice to see you, but we don't really need you. So God has made it that we all need each other. He's gifted each of us with certain things that each of us do well so that there be no division. There's no division. There's no, these gifts are good, these gifts aren't really needed. No, we need all of them. We need all the people. The second reason God made it this way, continuing in verse 25, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. When we all matter, we all have something to offer one another when we need help. And then he gives this example. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When, when, you, when you turn a corner and there's a table leg that you don't see, and you stub your toe, your mouth says, ow. Right? I mean, you're all connected here. Ow, my toe. Your brain thinks this hurts. Your hand immediately goes to rub it. We're all connected here. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. You can't just say because you're like the fourth toe down. I don't know what that toe is called. Just the fourth one down. The ring toe. Okay. <laughs> you can't say that that's unimportant. If that thing suffers, we all suffer. So, God has so made it that every single part of us is important so that there be no division, and secondly, so that we could best care for one another. When one suffers, we all suffer together. When one is honored, we all are honored together. We rejoice in that. We're in this thing together. This for nine years now. Eight years, nine years, I don't know. I lose track of time. However long our church has been in existence. This has been a church where people have cared for one another in a variety of ways. Financially, spiritually, teaching, instruction for people who are in need, exhortation, mercy for one another, leadership, administration. All those things are active week in, week out in this church. And you understand that. We love that about this body. People are in need. They're suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually. And people meet their needs physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's a beautiful thing. That's, how it's, that's what it's meant to be like. So you can't say, well, okay, this person came in and cared for them financially. That, that's kind of all this person needs. No, no, no. They also need someone to come alongside them to be merciful and to weep with them when they weep. 
They might need someone to give them some spiritual guidance to instruct them. We all need all parts of that. That's what's intended here. You have need of the body. We need the body to help care for us, shape us in the image of Christ, to help meet our needs. And nobody can act as if they don't need other people. That's not the Christian way. That's foreign to Christianity. I was, still am friends with this guy, but we don't live near each other anymore. A friend of mine who now is married, but before that he was dating a, a girl that's not his wife now. It's a, it's a different girl. He was dating this girl, and they'd been spending some time together, and uh, they both wanted to be married, but then it was kind of to that point where she thought, you know, it's not you. I, I don't want to marry you. And so they was having this conversation as to why it kind of hit him out of nowhere, and, and she said that she wanted a guy who was organized, who loved to travel, and who was well-read. And my friend said to her, you want you. I mean, you just described you. You literally want to marry you. Like, I'm not that. And we kind of chuckled about that. But that's often what we want. I want someone who's like me. I want a church like me, church with everyone, my demographics. Everyone, I got lots of kids. I want people with lots of kids. I got no kids. I want people with no kids. I want, I'm older. I want, I want a church where everyone's older. That's not how God does it. He gives us all different people, different skills, different abilities, different, again, and earlier in this passage, coming from different ethnic backgrounds. Earlier in the passage, maybe coming from different social backgrounds. He gives us that to each other. Some of you who are married to people who are totally unlike you know the challenge of that, but you also know the blessing of that. With her or him, I've learned more of this. God has helped me where I've been weak. That's what he does in the church. So we can spend a lot of time looking for people who are just like us to be around because it makes us more comfortable, but it doesn't mean it makes us more sanctified. And Paul's saying we have need of everyone. We have need of one another. No unimportant people in the body. It's good when God puts us with people who aren't exactly like us in order to help shape us. So, brothers and sisters, recognize the spiritual gifts that God has given to people in the body for your benefit. Please don't look to be helped along in the Christian faith just by people who are like you. Notice other people who are different from you who can help you grow in the faith, help you meet spiritual needs you have, physical needs you have. The Lord's given you a ministry. Let me talk to the young people, 45 and below, okay? Um, no, young school-aged people. Sometimes when you become a Christian, you kind of look around, and you think, well, what? I understand, I understand, Pastor, you say that we're supposed to be active in the body, but what can I do? I mean, I'm just eight. I'm just 13. I'm just seven. What, do, what can I do? A ton. A ton. You can encourage other people with the Word of God. It doesn't matter if they're older, with you, older than you. You could pray with people. You can show up and do things physically that other people can't do. You can be a great blessing to the church. Everyone's different. You don't have to look at certain people in the church and say, well, I'm not that, therefore I can't do anything. We're all different. Are there needs that you see that you can meet? Are there things that you think you might be good at, you might have physical ability to do? Listen, there, there are a lot of people in this church that shouldn't be moving things in and out of the children's ministry every Sunday. But there are a number of people in here that could. There are always things that you're able to do. So recognize that you've been gifted by God. We all need each other here. And then as I've alluded to a few times this morning, if you're a professing Christian and you've distanced yourself from the church, please stop. Please jump in. We need you, you need us. Don't think you can live life in an isolated manner. That's not a life that bears fruit. It's not a life that thrives. It's just not. Don't distance yourself from the church.
You have need of the body as well. We need you. You need us. Finally, a fourth fact about your life connected to the local church. You have a special gift to pursue for the body. Now, this is rather interesting. So much of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, especially in 12, we're different. No one, you don't need to be jealous for the gift of languages. You don't need to pursue that. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are prophets. Not all of us have the gift of miracles. He's been so much trying to convince the Corinthians. You don't have to pursue other things. But then at the end of this section, he shows them a gift to pursue. And it's interesting. Now, again, we won't understand this section, verses 27 to 31, if we don't understand. They were, the people with the gift of languages were flaunting them, were kind of thinking of themselves as a spiritual elite. And the people that didn't have the gift of languages were looking at that and saying, well, I mean, I'm not that. I don't do, I can't do that. And Paul's writing to correct that. So there was a gift that everyone kind of wanted, but not everyone had. And it's interesting to see how he diminishes the gift of languages throughout verses, throughout chapters 12 to 14. Not that it's nothing, it's something, it's special. We'll get to that in 14. But he diminishes the idea that that's what everyone should be going for. So they were prizing tongues, trying to pursue tongues. Paul writes to show them they're all different, they're all different gifts. But he does encourage them at the end of this passage to pursue one particular gift. And it's not tongues. Verse 27. Let's get into it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. <laughs> You're one. You all have different functions. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, those who saw the resurrected Lord, those who were given special revelation to teach the church, second prophets, those who were given, as we talked about in the past couple of weeks, spontaneous revelation that wasn't written down, but spontaneous revelation for the church, God literally speaking through them in a moment spontaneously. This was an era before the New Testament Scriptures were given. So God has given apostles, He's given prophets, He's given teachers, those who were like Jewish rabbis who would study the Scriptures and teach the people what they said so that God's people could be edified. The New Testament shows that that office continues on. That's something I'm literally doing right now, teaching. So he's given apostles, prophets, teachers. Then he's given some people miracles. Again, if you want to think about whether these have ceased or not, I'm talking about the gift of miracles, not, not miracles. We don't teach that miracles have ceased, but the gift of a particular person doing miracles. See the past couple weeks of teaching that we did, but our estimation was that the gift of miracles had ceased. A certain person gifted with that to do miracles had ceased. But then, Corinthian church, there's some among you, apostles, prophets, teachers, those who do miracles, some do healing, some helping. This is the only time in the New Testament that word is used. Don't know much about it, but evidently some people were a really big help in the church at Corinth. Administrating, which speaks of leadership or wise guiding, and various kinds of languages. Notice he places that last, not first. And various kinds of languages. Speaking the works of God, and people hear it in their own language. No, one, no, no surprise to us that that would happen at Corinth, a, cor a city where people would come in and out, port city from all different areas of the known world. So, why is Paul listing those right here? You're one body of Christ, individually members of it. God is appointed in the church, and then he lists a bunch of spiritual gifts. And then he asks this in verse 29. Are all apostles... Now, this is a rhetorical question, but, but we're going to answer it together. Is everyone an apostle? Yes or no? Okay. You got the right answer. Now, that same answer applies to the rest of the list, okay? So you don't need to say it out loud, but you got it. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. 
So if the conclusion is, then you don't need to pursue what you're not. I mean, he's been, he's been making silly arguments, if you will, about how people are different in the church. He's been doing it our whole passage this morning. So, so is everyone an apostle? No. Prophet, teacher, and he goes through the list. And then verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, that's quite a change from the rest of the passage this morning. Everyone's different. Every, feet, we need you. Ears, we need you. Hands, we need, we, we need all of you. Everyone's different. You all need each other. Not everyone's the same. Is everyone an apostle? No. Is it, is, no, not everyone's the same. But there is something you all should be pursuing. That's different. I wonder what that could be. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And here he's speaking of prophecy. But Andrew, I thought you said the prophecy was given before the Scriptures were formulated, before the church had the Scriptures, given by God in spontaneous moments. They were, it was infallible speech so the church could be helped and built up. Yes, that's what I said, and that's exactly true. Now, today, we have the Scriptures. We, what, we went a few weeks back, we looked at what the apostles thought of the Scriptures, and their determination was that the New Testament Scriptures and the Old should be preached and proclaimed for the building up of the church. And so in Ephesians 2, we learn that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we have the Scriptures to guide us. So if Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, you all should desire prophecy, speaking forth the Word of God accurately, the true Word of God, what would that mean for us today? Speak forth the Word to one another, the Word that we have. Romans 15, 13. Paul says this to the church at Rome. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. Uh, that's good. <laughs> There's something that gives me great satisfaction about you, church at Rome. What is it, Paul? That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He loves that they are instructing one another. Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The apostles wanted the word on people's tongues for one another, on people, in people's mouths for one another. Speaking the word to one another is prized in the New Testament. So when Paul says, not everyone's the same, you don't all have to pursue this, you don't, you don't have to try to be an apostle, that God's made apostles, you don't have to try to have the gift of miracles, God's given those to certain people. Okay, don't, stop competing, but there is something I want you to desire. And how do we know that that is prophecy? I mean, I, I told you what it was. How do I know that? Well, look over at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Speak forth the word. He wants them going after that. He wants them to want to be a people that speak the word to one another. That's what he wants. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he sets us up for next week's study in chapter 13. And there's a way to minister gifts to one another. And I will show you still a more excellent way. So pursue these higher gifts, namely prophecy, speaking the word to one another. And I'm going to show you the best way to do that, the most excellent way to do that. And that's love. And that comes in the next chapter because that's what they lacked. They focused a lot on what they could do and other people couldn't do. They didn't do it from a heart of love. So when I say as the title of this point, you have a special gift to pursue for the body. That's different than saying God's gifted you in a certain way, like some of you are givers, some of you uh, are good at administrating and leading, some of you, you know, are teachers. I'm not saying that gift, and he's not saying that either. He's saying there's another gift, though, that you should pursue, 
speaking forth the word to the body. You have a special gift in addition to the other things that he's equipped you to do, to pursue for the body. So we let the word dwell in us richly, and then we let it come out of us richly, if you will. Know the word, speak the word, and do so fueled by love. This is, I mean, you know, when you go to a doctor, they're going to ask you all kinds of questions to diagnose your symptoms and try to identify, okay, what's the root problem here? If you want to look at a sign of health in a church, a local church, I really believe this is what you're going to see. This is what the New Testament Scriptures would, would point to. All members serving one another in a variety of ways and the members of the body working to speak accurately God's Word to one another with a heart of love. Now that, you show that there's some health in the body, okay? Know the Word, speak the Word, do so fueled by love. So, brothers and sisters, we are part of a body. We've been made, we've been brought into a body. We're not individuals alone. We are needy, in need of the body. We're needed in the body, and we have a special gift to give to the body, speaking the Word of God to one another. So I hope that this is helpful for you as, as you just think through, where do I fit in at Kenyon Bible Church? Or again, if you're traveling through or visiting from somewhere else, you and your church, where do I fit in in my church? How has God wired you? What are the needs there? What can you do maybe that not everyone else can do or that might not be like everyone else, but what are you able to do? And, and Work at knowing the Scriptures and being able to encourage people with the Scriptures out of a heart of love. That's what I would say as a good summary response to this passage here in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank You for teaching us about how You want the body to function. I do ask that You would give us hearts of love first and foremost to see needs and not feel like, oh, I have to do this, but I want to help. I want to care for this person, that person, this church. Father, thank you for the testimony of, of spiritual gifts in this church since the time of our founding. Thank you for the story of love where members travel to be with one another, work to meet the needs of one another, are willing to have hard conversations with one another to build up one another in love. Thank you for the testimony of forgiveness and long-suffering in this church. Thank you for the health that's in it, and we pray that you would continue to make us all the more healthy until you return, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this body. It's all because of you. It's all a gift of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.